Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. My wife's in love with Chris Cuomo. For years I didn't know, though. He fights COVID. A great dad to his kids. That charm is pro bono. No, he's not me, though. My wife is in love with Chris Cuomo. All right, welcome to episode seven of Joke Artist. We are your hosts. I'm Ryan Dever. And I'm Ryan Dever. What? <laughs> right, I'm Jason Katz. Oh, whew, I thought this was like a bad case of multiplicity. We'll be right back. <laughs> and today's guest is a comedian and host, Paul Costabile. This is a very special episode. I grew up with Paul. Um, Jason, you're uh, you're you're friendly with with Paul as well. Oh uh, yes, me and him have many friendly lunches, mm, dinners at, too, at friendlies. <laughs> At Bradley's, we both uh, uh, got the chicken fingers and a vat of Thousand Island dressing. It's all about the dressing, is what the is, be- what, the, is what the medic said. Yeah, Friendly's, the best microwave food in the country. Yes, um, Paul, what country we don't know. Yes, yes, we don't know, but the country of friendliness. Yeah. And uh, so Paul um, is a host, as we said. He's worked for iHeartRadio. Um, MSG Network, Animal Planet, NBC. He uh, recently hosted the game show Beat the Clock, which is available now on Peacock. There's a lot of ock uh, rhyming yes. things. We, we could go there, but we're not going to go there. Uh, 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 could, we don't, you won't see us going there. You won't see us, but maybe someone else will. I don't know. Um, we'll uh, we'll uh, see. Yeah, yeah, you know, probably not. But anyway, uh, we had a really great talk with Paul about his career. It's, it's, it's a truly inspiring one. Um, he's just a really great guy, really talented guy, really um, friendly guy, friendly Full guy. circle there. Did you see that? Friendly isn't the friendly. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh boy, you're gonna cut that out of the intro, aren't you? Yeah. All right. Welcome to episode seven of Joke Artists. Uh, we are here with comedian and host Paul Costabile. Paul, wow, thank you, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for thank having you. me. Thank you for that pronunciation too, Ryan. That was that was sexy. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's gotten it's taken a while to get used to. I admit, ever since you changed it, I don't know, um, you know how to how to approach you anymore. I don't know what to call you. Um, it probably sounds well. I've known you for a long time, so it probably feels weird because it's totally not what anybody calls me in my family or my friends. It's almost like an obnoxious version of my last name. It's like calling <laughs> oh. you Ryan Ryan Devois. Devois. Oh, what yeah. did your what? Did, how does it? How is it normally pronounced? Uh, Miller. Oh wow! <laughs> it's a soft I was, Miller. I was way off. Jeez. <laughs> I was no, going to say up- <laughs> uh, Stevenson, but okay. Yeah, Miller. I can see it. I if went I reverse my eyes stage real name. hard at your last name. I went reverse stage name. Like, you know, back in the day, you changed your name because it wasn't palatable for like middle America. I went uh-huh. so far the other way. It's like, ooh, who's that weird European guy I, that I can't pronounce on stage? That's what I went for. It's fun oh. to say. It used to be Elabotskok. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, exactly. Wow. Yeah. No, what okay. really, what happened was, it's an obnoxious thing, but you know in showbiz, I, I'm always confused if I should use a stage name, especially as a performer, because nobody says it right, but mm-hmm. I learned Italian, which is my ancestry, and so I just started saying it the way they say it there, which is, I guess could be kind of snobby if you think about it, but being in showbiz, I was like, let me just l- let it roll a little bit more, you know, like say it that way and hope people can say it, and to this day, people butcher it, well, but Ryan not- didn't. 
it, it's fun because it does flip that whole thing on its ear. You think that you know you have a name like Costabile, and you'd you'd make it like uh, I don't know, just not that, um, <laughs> right? And, <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, you'd go with like like when we had Mark Summers on, his name was not Mark Summers, and he just right. made it up, obviously because and we found out it was because he had the same name as uh, Son of Sam. Yeah, but, right. Uh, so, but you, well, but I you, yeah. I heard that. I heard that and I thought of my own career and I thought this is why it's not going well. You know, I yeah. need to be Paul Springs or, you know, <laughs> well, you, you still could murder people if you, if you chose to go down that path. Yeah. yeah maybe, a, maybe. Sure way to, yeah. Sure I think you're doing success. personally very, very well, but if in your own mind you think you're not, uh, yeah, you could always try to a life of crime straight up. Yeah. Life of crime is maybe I should change it to fine. a mass murderer last name for wrecking, you know, more recognizability. Yeah. Paul, Paul Mance. Right. Murder. Paul Manson. Slaughter. Yeah. I think that's good. <laughs> and be sure to explain your reasoning every time you're asked. But right. I mean, bringing up Mark Summers again, your career path is very similar to his in that, um, your host, your performer, entertainer, just like Mark Summers and stand up and everything you do is kind of to become a better host, a better entertainer, just like Mark would, uh, do magic and, and do stand up mm-hmm. to, to hone his craft. Um, you were a DJ for many years. I worked alongside right. you from time to time. You were constantly in front of crowds. You, um, hosted a show on your college at, at the college you went to, right? You had a radio show. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you did UCB, um, you were doing all this, and then all the while you decided to go out and, and create your own late-night talk show, f- literally from the streets of Times Square, New York, yes. called Gorilla Late Night, which um, I got to kind of work on that a little bit with you, which was a lot of fun. Um, what, what years was that around? That was 2009, man. We're going okay. back. Right. Late Night. This yeah. is when uh, not as many shows, talk shows were on YouTube. Um, and yeah. yeah, Ryan, that was uh, that was the change for me where I had this delusional idea that I wanted my own talk show that I still sort of have. But um, it was cool because it wasn't like there was a million talk shows then. And we were not like virally successful in any way, but it really helped me creatively just say like, I'm going out every week and doing a talk, I'm doing a monologue. I'm going out on the streets. I'm doing a full show. We're going to interview guests. We're going to do sketches. And it's... Still looking back, I love it, and um, I'm you know it was just a pivotal time for me as a host. Yeah, I mean it was so ahead of its time. It was very reminiscent of the Tom Green show um, because you had sketch comedy, you had the late night interview vibe, but it also had the kind of spontaneity of like impractical jokers and jackass because you really were in the middle of Times Square, and there were times where the cops would walk in front of the camera and ask you like, "What the hell you're doing?" and stop the shoot. There were people that would come on and ask what was going mm-hmm. on. You'd pull, um, you know, people off the streets to dance or eat watermelon or, or any kind of fruit and just do really silly things. So it was this kind of wild thing. And yeah, like, I guess, I don't know. I mean, viral, like millions and millions of hits. I, I don't know. But you did start doing sketches based on the Jersey shore and which is odd. And yeah. I, I think it's undeniable. You found that the, and you thank did you a, for knowing that you did a bunch of sketches making fun of Jersey shore. And you even went out and, and went to the clubs that they were at and, and kind of joked around with them and, and not got in their face, but just, you know, playful, all in good fun stuff. And then mm. shortly after those sketches came out and were kind of circling YouTube, 
they came out with their own video and used that song and did a similar <laughs> cut, like a similar edit. Yeah, it was the thing was is like I'm from Jersey, so at the time for, as a comedian, there was a little bit of that resentment of like, you know, we're not all like that, you know? So I put Tanner on and did this whole spoof of them, like running around Times Square being just like them. We actually ran into Anderson Cooper. Remember that, Ryan? I'm like yelling yeah. at Anderson Cooper, like looking like a Guido, like all this Tanner on. Do the Cooper Thank shuffle, you. you told him, right? Yeah, yeah. Yo, yo Cooper, he was like, uh... Um, but what was really fun and, and for me, that's just me fresh out of college, like trying to make a comedy talk show happen on the streets. Like we got an inside scoop that a cameraman was working on the show down at a club at the Jersey shore. And I showed up with an underage cameraman at the club at like 5 PM, like with all our in costume, people just took us seriously in this tanner and like the, the way we looked, thinking we just looked that way. And we waited for the cast to get there. And the fun part of the story, and think about like, I still am this way in showbiz, I think, where it's like you're sneaking around and you're sort of messing with people, but you're trying to find the funny. And we 100% got kicked out. Like the crew noticed that like I'm next to Snooki and all the cast members like taking shots with them. They're filming us. They asked us to sign a release. Like they like just thought we were dudes at the shore, but we were filming a bit the whole time. So there was like this like mischievous part of it that ended with us getting thrown out because they, they realized that um, we were filming them <laughs> with a hidden cameraman. <laughs> That's what was so funny about, about the show was you did, you know, run it because it's New York. You were able to run into celebrities. I mean, we did a fake extreme home makeover where you would just went up to random people in the street and told them you were going to buy them a home. Right. And then you actually ran so into right. Billy Joe Armstrong in the street <laughs> mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. acted like, he was um, funding everything basically, and he was so confused. Um, yeah, all the way to sneaking into Fashion Week and getting people to believe that you actually belong there, and you wore like an old '60s baby blue tux, right? And went into Fashion Week. So there was this kind of jackass vibe, the show of the fearlessness and kind of just getting in and saying I belong, and people would buy it. Definitely. And I think that was so fun at the time. Like we were fresh out of college. Everybody who did that show, you included Ryan, like my, the rest of my crew were like still in college or, you know, starting out. And so it was a bunch of kids just running around trying to make fun stuff happen. And we were very fearless. And, um, and it was just, it was awesome because it, 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 you got away with a lot back then too. I really do think even, you know, everybody does bits now, I think, which is cool. But back then, like we did stand out because, uh, nobody, Nobody, like not everyone was filming with their cell phone, like trying to get moments. Like we, we had a whole crew and it was, I don't know, it was a different time in many ways. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I could totally relate. I, I, you know, uh, have attempted to do similar stuff, uh, back then in the 2000, early 2000s, uh, with public access though. That was where I began a sketch comedy show and we did similar stuff where we did sketches and man on the street type of stuff and really silly things and pranks. And, uh, it was a totally different time back then. And, um, this was right before YouTube and then YouTube sort of came out during it and, Uh you know, I was able to transfer some of the stuff on there, but, uh, it's always fun to talk to somebody who has, you know, become so successful like yourself and has also done similar stuff like, uh, that, that I've done, um, and then, you know, see you rise up, um, you know, oh, thanks, beyond man. all that. Well, I don't, I, 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 I'm glad it appears that way, but what I will say is, um, well, that, that quite scheming, a thank you. I, uh, I like, I think that's how I love 
being a host and an entertainer. Like I think it's it's about doing showbiz and doing funny shtick in the real world. And I found that that's become sort of what I love doing as a comedian, you know, like I, I love like popping up in the world and messing with people and, and being playful about it. And that it started with that show. And I've sort of right. been doing bits ever since that are reminiscent of that. And it's a, it's a delicate balance. And I've always had so much fun. Like I just love I, part of why I love my job is going to mess with people. Like really, like I'm a sociopath with a camera crew on the streets. I mean, pre COVID. <laughs> I'm so used to going up to strangers and messing with them to the point where like I would typecast somebody. (laughs) If I just saw them, I'd be like that. That's not, that's not it. That's it. That's it. Like it just like push people away until we get to the thing. But I don't know. I think we all need that. Like kind of part of it is this little kid in me who likes messing with the seriousness of adulthood, you know, like standing on a desk at a corporate office and doing dumb stuff. Like, I don't know. I haven't grown up in that sense. uh, And that's part of why I I think I do this job. I don't, you know, it's it's Peter Pan syndrome, basically. No, but I mean, my wife, (laughs) Wendy. Um, Well, when you, you (laughs) say you go, yeah, Uh, he tried, but you know, he got stuck in Neverland. Didn't work out. Yeah. But uh, ever see hook? Come on. Anyway. uh, (laughs) You talk about, yeah, you talk about messing with people and whatnot, but it is always in good fun. I mean, that's one thing about your stand-up, about your sketch writing, about your hosting, is that um, it's it's not a you know it's not offensive, it's not like rude or there's no shock value, but it's also not like kiddie stuff. It it really is a great balance of adults can laugh at it and kids can laugh at it too, and that's that seems like something you've carried through in, in all the sketches you do and, and in all the, the jobs you've worked at is you kind of try to bring that element that, um, one, people can have common ground and two, uh, adults can sit in a room with kids and, and laugh at the same thing. Um, and Gorilla led you to iHeartRadio, which is where you basically created their digital interview content you they didn't really have that before and you became the face of iHeartRadio when it was kind of becoming a thing and interviewed the likes of I mean Taylor Swift Justin Timberlake Selena Gomez Ed Sheeran Jamie Foxx I mean like the list goes on and everybody and anybody Ryan Seacrest um even your now wife Christina Perry you you met doing that job yeah. What was that experience like going from Gorilla? So you create this show, you're, you're DJing, you create this show. Um, like you said, you're out of college just trying to make it and, and decided to kind of go out on a limb and use your extra time to create the show. And it basically gets you this gig at iHeart. Mm-hmm. What was fun about the iHeart thing was um, it's a similar theme we're talking about, like just like showing up and trying to do fun stuff. And I, I got hired as a blogger. And I, my first day on the job, I don't know if I ever told you the story, Ryan, but like I, I went up so. to, I went up to Nicki Minaj. I got a camera and I went up to Nicki Minaj with a camera and was like, and started doing an impression to her, like from behind the camera. Like I thought it'd be funny. I was like, hello, Nicki Minaj. You know, she like talks like, I'm Nicki Minaj. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. I can't even do it. Terrible impression. Um, <laughs> And and kids kids listening who who don't maybe know her like 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 the other Cardi B like before Cardi B sort of anyway um <laughs> like yeah. just before <laughs> she had a different thing it was called Pap <laughs> yeah <laughs> terrible uh, terrible what's that stand for uh 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 <laughs> we'll be right back yeah. <laughs> yeah uh it stands for uh Pappy 
Anyway, oh. um, all right. She had, she had, she had a grandfather. School. She was really happy yeah, yeah. With, and yeah, proud of her grandfather. She, before Nicki Minaj, <laughs> she was called Happy Pappy. <laughs> <laughs> it came from the uh, network that she had to change. The name that was of. her alter ego. She was like, my name yeah. Nicki Minaj and I'm 97. I'm yeah. a grandfather. <laughs> Nicki Minaj yeah. has the has the best. You wouldn't even know. She has, she, she's actually 95. You would never know. It's amazing. Wow. Oh, I know. I've seen her up close. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Anyway. But, um, but anyway, so you're, I you're, went up, yeah. Tell us that story. Sorry about not getting a pap. <laughs> I, I wish I had a pap line. I'm, I'm bummed with myself here. I, but I like saying, I like saying pap. <laughs> um, so. I, uh, tell us about that. I, I went up to her. I, <laughs> so, so she, you know, she was. At the gynecologist, and she had to get up. A- <laughs> <laughs> I told Ryan before I come on this show, this is the, the the audio that will get me canceled, and I'm I'm hoping I'm just hoping that happens. I'm kidding. I'm, I don't hope that happens, but well, I, I'm I'm nervous. I'm no, nervous in our that. times that I'm gonna I'm I'm drinking a beer right now. I'm talking to you guys. Like, give me a half hour, and something we document on audio tonight will cancel me in ten years. <laughs> anyway, we'll, yeah. we'll circle back to the murder and the the WAP PAP thing <laughs> in, a, in about a fifty yes. minutes. Listen, in a future world, like the PAP WAP thing is not going to be kosher in like five years max. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Or, so I, or I, it goes the other way, and it's made into its way into the dictionary. We'll see. Right. Right, you never know, guys. Yeah. So I go up to I go up to Pappy Minaj, and <laughs> <laughs> the story's never gonna happen. Pappy Minaj sounds like a, a like a rug or some sort of fabric. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. It's a Pappy Minaj. Got it at uh, Lowe's. Yeah. Oh, Real nice. God. Very soft. Wow. Is that an authentic Pappy Minaj? Wow. Yeah. Squishy um, though, too. Oh. So anyway, I go up to her with the camera. I start yelling at her. And the record label guy at the radio station was like, who the hell is this kid? Because I always wore suits. I was like ready to be somebody there. And I wanted to interview people. And he complained to my boss and was like, this is not cool. Like my artist had no idea this was happening. She's like, this is like, what the heck? And was so mad at me. But since from that day on, like my boss protected me as such a great guy. His name's Colby Hall. And he came from the comedy TV world and embraced the fact that I was this like hustler who wanted to do comedy videos with artists. And so he protected it and we just kept like messing and trying to get time with artists when they were going to the radio stations. And the fun part of the story is like eventually that record label executive like made sure his artists came to my interview room to be interviewed. So we, we wow. earned the trust. We earned the trust of like the inside people that like, if I'm with your artist, it's going to be silly. It might be a little weird, but like, we're going to make them look good and we're going to have fun with them. And we developed that over many years there and it grew all the way to, you know, hosting some of their TV shows and some, you know, building their YouTube up in a way that was really uh, stronger than it was before. So I'm, I'm proud of the work we did there. I still sometimes late at night, just watch myself with famous pop artists. Um, if I have a bad day, you know, <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, no, yeah you started off getting in trouble yelling at Nicki Minaj, and then next thing you're interviewing Oprah. So, yeah, you did pretty well there. Yeah, it was great, man. Also, you think about content, like, I, I, and I hate to be the guy who was like, back in the day, but I do think brands everywhere want funny celebrity content, you know, all the time. But this was at a time, it wasn't even that long ago, but... It was a radio brand not doing videos and also not every uh, brand was doing video content. Like, you know, I think everyone does video content now. So we were able to, you know, Selena Gomez came to our radio stations and then she went and taped Fallon and then she went home. Like, 
we were on that press run with those t- same types of players, which was very cool for me. Like I was like, if they're in my little studio, I want to make it like a late night bit where it, th- their fans could watch us as much as a Tonight Show segment or as much as something else. And so we really tried to work hard to write bits, have some funny little shtick, you know, make it not just like how's number seven on your new album. You know, I really tried to think outside the box there. And for years I had the freedom to, that's what was crazy about it. Like nobody, it wasn't regulated early on. And that's what made it really fun. I mean, I met my wife there because it was unregulated. Like she walked into a studio and nobody was there, but me and and someone just helping with the camera. And we had like unfiltered, like raw time together, you know, like, right. That's what's so cool about it. And I think Jason would agree too. in our experience working in, in the digital world, um, everyone kind of want, when you, when a guest comes in, yeah, there's questions and they, tr- they try to play a game, you know, like never have I ever or whatever. Um, but their goal is they're like, they want to pre-produce something unexpected, something natural. And they almost want bloopers. Like they want to force bloopers in because they, they don't, it seems like all these brands don't know how to create that kind of raw spontaneity and, and create chemistry and for a video to start off with someone breaking a glass and be like, whoops, and then it goes, whoosh, and it's a right. People magazine, and then it goes into their interview. You were you were doing that all the time, and, and like it wasn't games. It wasn't like, let me, yeah, like what's in your pocket or something like that. You right, do these right. weird things, like when you had the lead singer of, of Coldplay on, uh, Chris right, Martin, right. And you just had him sing a love song to a shoe. Your thing was, <laughs> your voice is so soothing. You could make anything romantic. So you had him sing a song to a shoe. Exactly. And it went viral. Yeah. And think about like the, you know, we tried to write in a way that was like short attention span, but also like exactly like you said, like what's the thing about this guy that's unique, but also we could celebrate. Cause that's what I was always trying to do. It's like, right. let's do something silly. But we want to show that you're awesome. Like we want, you know, you're here trying to promote your stuff. I'm not going to like try and get you. And that's the one thing I hate about some of some interviews is like the like got you, caught you stuff. Nobody wants that, you know. And uh, so we were able to earn trust with a lot of big names because we'd bring them in there and be like, yo, if you're cool, will you, you know, do you want to freestyle me and I'll play this drum machine and like, here's how it'll go. And they're like, yeah, sure. Or sometimes I wouldn't even tell artists and the, the best performers or improvisers would be able to hang like at an improv level and really just have a ton of fun. And those are probably my favorite moments. And UCB and that time in comedy in New York, like shaped me into this, like kind of like to a fault sometimes, like, like F it, let's just, let's just see what happens, you know? And I, I learned yeah. the hard way that some of the biggest stars don't operate that way, which I didn't realize. I was like, let's just mess around. And they'd be like, wait. And then eventually like what we're saying, like the regulation of that stuff, like I hate stuff when it's contrived. I don't like any canned interviews. In this world, I'm sure you guys know working in it. I also think fans and people watching don't don't want to watch people like with things that are just pre pre planned. And the spontaneity is what makes it fun, and you really get to see somebody. And so I always was trying to harness that. And um, I, I'm always trying to do that with all my segments to this day. I feel like what's at, at iHeartRadio. What's like? Uh, do you have a really funny, great story with a with a guest that you had on? Well, I always tell the story about my wife, but I, but I met her there and I probably, you probably heard it too many times, but I basically, she walked in and I, you know, we met on camera and at the time I had no real help. So I just had somebody hit record on a camera I set up and she walked on set. And so we have like the first moment we meet in person on camera, which, which, 
you don't usually get. Usually it's a little more produced. Like we weren't even that uh-huh. produced. I was just rolling raw, which is just crazy because you watch the footage back and we're like the same couple we were the day we met. So that's that's crazy. Changed my wow. life and <laughs> and your wife Christina on the way. Yes, not the yeah. other one. Oh, yeah. okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> that stands out. Um, there's a funny story of like. And I always worry about like sounding like a name droppy guy in this world, but but at the time, like we truly were with um, everybody in music because it was a it's a big music brand, and I had the you know I had the trust of their teams. One time, Mariah Carey came in. I'm sure you guys have worked with her, and um, I was like in a I was like in yes. a bubble. I'm like in a bubble, being the guy who's the interviewer, where like you don't see people. Um, outside of like being on set and she just, you know, I'm not going to speak bad about her, but you could probably guess she just took a really long time to like approve how she wanted it to look and she had champagne. And so like, yeah, it, it was like hours before we worked and like interviewed, I interviewed her and I was just like on set with her drinking champagne all day. <laughs> And then finally, and like doing like weird and like just took forever to actually shoot. And I had like the best time ever with her. And then when she left, like everyone was like, that was, you know, that was the most impossible situation ever for the crew. But I had like, you know, tunnel vision because I was having fun with these people. I don't know if that's right. the best story, but, but it was, it was funny in that it was her and like, um, it just took a really long time and we had a lot of fun together. Yeah. I remember working with her a long time ago and, uh, filming something with her. And, uh, we literally, uh, we didn't own a ring light at the time at the, at the place that I was working at. And we had to buy one just to film her with and put it onto the front of the lens. <laughs> wow. She wouldn't let us, she wouldn't let us film her without the ring light. Right. Wow. Yeah. I mean, she, look, she's a woman who knows what she wants. God bless yeah, her. Very um, su- but, super. But, I mean, mega successful. I mean, you know, I, it wouldn't have mattered what she wanted. It was still, it was totally fine. I was right. just thinking the same thing. Hey, this person knows what they want and uh, it's clearly not hurting them. Yeah. I'm part of the story I forgot to mention was she was married to Nick Cannon at the time and she was like, like hamming it up with me and, and literally took off her, her wedding ring, like this crazy diamond <laughs> wow. ring. Wow. And and gave it to me like they, they, that, that's wait, the part what? I left out. That's wild. <laughs> oh, wait. And I so, feel like I, I I feel like I I was part of their demise because maybe I like cursed it. You know I don't know. But um, are you <laughs> married to Mariah Carey? Where, yeah, you missed the part where you broke up a celebrity marriage. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. I forgot. I we totally went forgot. Down to, you know, jeez. Wait I a second. I didn't even sign no. the papers. We're still together. Yeah. yeah. What? Just weird things like that have happened in there. You know. Well, it's it's funny because yeah, like that you if you just quickly were to say that story it sounds like a nightmare and i'm sure we've all we've all worked with celebrities where like they've been two hours late and and then they show up and they suddenly want food and then yeah they want to drink or something and you're like wow i guess we're working till eight o'clock tonight because this person has a total disregard for time and scheduling and human beings but it they're on those rare occasions um they can surprise you where like time kind of flies and you don't feel like it's going so long. I think Jay, we've, we've probably had a few people we've worked with where, you know, you give them the champagne and then, you know, you shoot and then you cut. And then next thing you know, it's been an hour and you're still kind of all talking and, and right, shooting, yeah. shooting the breeze. Yeah. Um, I mean, those are the, those are the most fun. Those are the best for shoots sure. and those are the best people to work with. You're like, wow, yeah. this person's yeah. just a, an actual person and they're, and they're not self-aware of how, 
they could be a jerk if they wanted to be. Yeah. Right. Ryan, you just reminded me, though, that whole idea of like being mischievous, I feel like has followed me. There's a part of me as a host with these celebrities back then that it's it's a little muscle in me that like wants to remind them they're human. And that always was in the back of my mind, too. So like I always would treat people the same. But a part of me like love trying to crack like celebrities that maybe weren't in the mood to like do a fun bit. And you just yeah. reminded me because that would also happen. And then it would be a challenge for me to basically win over people who maybe came in as stiffs or like had a bunch of publicists or had like a, a mode where they hate interviews, you know, cause we all, that happens too in our world. And the kid in me would always try to, you know, I'd love it. I'd be like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to really see if I can turn one on them and either get them to feel comfortable or remind them that like they take shits just like us. Like, you know, people who <laughs> think they're better right. than everybody, you know, whatever it is. And there's a few stories from that time that that was that happened too. One that sticks out. This is so random, but like John John Cougar Mellencamp. <laughs> I don't know who gives a shit who's listening, but he uh, <laughs> he uh, he's like an, he just sticks out of my mind. He's like a notorious like hates being interviewed guy. And he's uh, too cool for school. Yeah, yeah, it's the yeah cougar, I mean, think about it. this is <laughs> this cougar. is. But this is a guy, think about that era in music, dude. Think about, like, he's like a rock star, right? And I yeah. show up with, like, you know, a suit that looks like I'm wearing, you know, tight spandex that for the legs. Like, they're, that's a sprayed tight suit. Sprayed on, baby. Sprayed you on. You know, sprayed on suit, big <laughs> hair. This metrosexual guy in New York City is going to interview you about music. I'd be probably, you know, I could see him judging me up and down. And the guy hated my guts, you know, like, immediately. <laughs> but he did look you up and down, you said. Nice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But what? Yeah, yeah. But what's fun about these moments is like, you know, I I, that awareness and just the comedy of it and then trying to crack him and talk to him and really interview him. And it worked out and we had a great interview. Like, but it's just funny to remember, like those situations where, you know, you have these people who are just used to it's a couple of things they are used to people talking to them and interviewing them. And then also they don't want to deal with you. They don't want to be there. I just liked kind of messing messing around with that too there's some comedy in that to me well it seemed like you wanted a real human connection with some of these people and like almost like a friend connection uh with them and and it seems like you achieved it most of the time i feel like it's like i wanted to be a a breath of fresh air for a lot of them and for all i know they could have left and been like that was the cheesiest thing ever but i feel like in the moment we did get some authentic fun fun stuff that that happened on camera with a lot of people well you're a i mean a huge fan of late night yeah and you know, you're a big Conan fan and a big Letterman fan. And I feel like that's, that's Letterman's thing. And that's what I, you know, where he would have people on and he just didn't care that they were celebrities. He would kind of throw it in people's faces and do that similar vibe. So I think you captured that kind of essence of Letterman of just kind of like, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not like starry eyed. uh, I'm not nervous to interview you. Let's have a good time and just cut the BS. And, and, you know, like, yeah, I don't, I don't need to bow down to you. Let's just have, you know, we're both working. We're both here. Let's yeah, have a exactly. Time. Exactly. Yeah. There's only a few people I'm like, I feel like that have really, and you guys probably can relate in, in your work too, where you see them and you're like, Oh wait, that's that movie star. Like that's crazy. But I, I always try to humanize because why not? These people go around like with people not humanizing them all day. That's like, you know, I liked being the person who was like real, real with them as much as I could be. Right. Um, and I think it, I think that could be refreshing in that space, because nobody likes being treated like they're they're not normal. I feel like, 
and most yeah. celebrities are treated that way. And look, this is not to say celebrities, ooh, boo-hoo, you're successful, you're known. That's not what I mean. But you know, you guys get what I'm saying. Yeah, for sure. One that stands out in my mind, I'm not sure if you ever worked with him, but uh, when Shaq came in and we worked with him, and that was the nicest guy ever and funny and quick and you know talk really? to everybody who wanted to talk to him you know really? took pictures with everybody i did not know that about him and oh. tall <laughs> yeah yeah <it's> super tall <laughs> this is this is this is not a good shack impression huh <laughs> oh, uh, oh my god we didn't know Shaq no. was on the line yeah whoa Shaq, wow. is that you paul or Shaq? who are we talking this, this is not even close and you know Melon what i'm Camp, not even you? you know what i'm not even going to Shaq because like what i said earlier if i do a little yeah, more don't. Shaq, i'm done i'm done yeah you're just like what i thought you mean the the guy from steel yeah uh, he was uh, he his famous line was dip me in shit and roll me in breadcrumbs uh, that was a quote from the movie steel Oh no! Uh, Good God! It was. I don't know if you've seen uh, it. Lately, I, that must have been the director's cut. No, it really was in the movie. Shack he said it. Shack. He said it. Um, it was. <laughs> I watched it in in between falling asleep to Blue Chips uh, oh. many times. Oh, Blue Chips! Um, that's a that's a good movie. But to get Nolte. back, now, not, now I want to hear your best Nick Nolte impression. <laughs> Um, Hello, I'm Nick Nolte. <laughs> My God, that sounded just like unbelievable. Uh, if he was a British woman, do you, Paul, do you remember we had we created that like fake character where it was a Broadway actor that wanted to obviously be an actor, but it's the typical Broadway actor that sucks. Oh my and, God, that was the best. And he prided himself as being an impressionist, but every impression was him singing. And he'd be like, That's the best. could you now do Gollum from Lord of the Rings? And he'd be like, Gollum, I'm Gollum. I'm looking for the ring. Where is it? That's, yeah, it's one of my favorite characters. I love that. That was every yeah, yeah. character. Like, Jeff Goldblum. I'm Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> Jurassic Park. Yeah. Jeff? Uh, yeah. Oh, never mind. Sorry. I thought it was Jeff. Gollum. Gollum. Um, uh, so stupid. All right. Summer is over and fall is upon us. And in New York City, at least, you know, restaurants are starting to open. But guess what? In a, in a few months, maybe, 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 maybe uh, we won't have to wear a mask anymore. And it's going to be really shocking when we all take our masks off and we see that we've aged. I know uh, Jason and I are now completely bald and, oh, and yep. we're full, riddled with wrinkles. Good yeah. Lord. Uh, and, uh, I look like a California raisin. I want a permanent. I want a Snapchat filter for real life that permanently. Well, uh, you know, the closest thing to that. Yes. Plexiderm. With Plexiderm, all you need is 10 minutes and you can look 10 years younger. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that gives your appearance the right kind of changes. What's crazy about Plexiderm is that it will make you look 10 years younger. So if you are 10 and you do take this, <laughs> you will no longer be born. Uh, or you'll be zero. I don't know. Be wary of how old you are while putting this this cream on because you will technically go back in time by the way it visibly reduces wrinkles fine lines and even under eye bags in minutes and the results will last for hours you can try a six application trial pack for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit triplexiderm.com and use the code believe again that's triplexiderm.com and use the code believe b-l-e-a-v at checkout i mean was there ever a, a, and you know if you don't want to say that's fine was there ever a guest where you couldn't get them to kind of come around was there ever uh, someone yeah. that you just kind of like eh 
you know, but I like I get it, but like they just didn't they weren't into it. Plenty of times. I I think uh some of the like super artsy indie artists sometimes like were like too cool and hippie to like even mm. like have a conversation sometimes, you know, like there's lights and like, you know, it's just like my music and like you know, I was just like inspired. That those type of people. And then also yeah. um Again, yeah. another name drop thing. I'm just trying to have anybody who listens to this think uh, I matter by naming right. a bunch of celebrities. You can't stop, um, can you? <laughs> I can't stop. But but basically, um, probably the Pope and Jesus. <laughs> really? Wow. Ryan, and that was you know the same that... interview? <laughs> <laughs> you know where that yeah. comes from, Ryan. Yeah. That's a... Uh, <laughs> That's an old bit I was re- repurposing there from Mike Nichols and Elaine May. Anyway, uh, what I'm saying <laughs> is, uh, no, t- uh, Taylor. I'm like on Taylor Swift's bad list from that time, and I don't think she really would know or care of who really? I am at all, at all now. But but that's somebody who she's a very controlled, like very set in what she's allow what she allows people to do around her. And mm-hmm. my job at one of the TV shows was to go up to all the artists before they went on stage at Jingle Ball at the Garden and interview her or interview anybody. And I ran up to her unannounced with a camera crew and, and uh, she was about to go on stage at the garden. And she's just very, to her credit, she's very like, you know, set in, in how she right. does stuff. And I was this curveball goofball in like a Santa suit. Like, and she had her inner <laughs> ears in. She was about to perform. And I was like, Taylor Swift. Oh, and so I don't think it matters now, but I do know I don't work there anymore. So I could say like, you know, at, at the time, like it went up the the channels at the company, like from her uh-huh. team. Like, how dare this guy run up to Taylor Swift before she performs at the Garden? And so that was one of those moments where, like, again, this is my improviser thing coming out, where right. some people, you know, they want to be in control of how things flow around them. And someone at that level, I get. But it was just, it's a funny story for me now because like I totally pissed her off before she, before she performed at the biggest arena in the world. Um, <laughs> she just woke up in a cold sweat and was like, I had that dream again. I know. Yeah, yeah. The Santa suit guy. No. <laughs> who are we kidding? But no, who I mean, that's cool. That, it's funny me. though, you know, that you have stories like that though. And I mean, it's also great that you have stories like that. But it's just, you know, it goes to show you that, um, you know, some people can be some people can be humanized like that you know and be uh okay with all this stuff and then some people you know they might not be able to just roll with everything you know yeah you'd be surprised i mean we talk about comedy um it's it's the improv thing and i'm not saying like look at me i do improv but like i'm i was surprised even actors you guys know this too not everybody is an improviser like i just assumed all entertainers improvise i don't know why i thought that and so I had to learn the hard way with some some of these interviews back then that right. uh, some people want. And, and even some comedians. I remember one time I did a bit with, um, this is so random, but the guy from The Hangover, Ken, the... Uh, Ken the, Jung? He used to be a doctor. Yeah, Ken Chung. I did, yeah. a bit, <laughs> I did a bit... I'm really reaching for my name drops in this episode. <laughs> I just want, I want to cover great. it. I want to cover right it now. all. Ken, I want to cover Ken, it all. Pop yeah, artists. Listen to this. Ken Jong, but I did some with him once. It was really cool to see someone like him work. I'm trying to nerd out about comedy to guys because I listen to the show and I love hearing when people talk about comedy the way you guys talk about it. Oh, um, so you're the listener. Wow, I'm the listener. I'm the one. one. The one. <laughs> I'm the guy awesome. in the Philippines. I'm the guy. I actually changed my IP address to the Philippines. So you guys, have <laughs> oh, cool. We were so excited about that. Damn yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, well, it's, it's, well, I'm in Jer- well. It's me in Jersey, but it, it, I want you to think you have Filipino fans. Anyway, well, all right, uh, cool, awesome. Um, 
I remember working out a bit with him and I was like, let's just do this funny thing. Like I'll pretend like I'm doing this and you do that. All right, you ready? And he like wouldn't let me start. And he like, it was so cool to see though in real time. Like he worked out the setup and the punch and kept talking about it and like really fine tuned what was funny about it. And then when we recorded, it was hilarious and he absolutely nailed it. But I was so not used to that. You know, you guys know as improvisers, like this, it, it was just cool to see him work out the sketch uh, in like oh, a really yeah. good way, and that and that's what's that's what's so intriguing and also hard to me about stand up. Like I'm an improviser more than I'm a stand up comedian and writer, and so I struggle with just like getting the setup and the punch really tight and really well crafted. And I'm working on that, you know. Now is that is that something you wrestle with when you do stand up? Where you know you were saying that it, it was tough for you when you'd interview someone. You were so you, you obviously you got to prepare and blah blah blah. But you were so drawn to just like, you know, let's just do it live, as they say. Let's just let's just improvise. Are you kind of torn with stand up in that way where you want to prepare, you want to know your material, but you also want to just say F it and just get out there and see what happens? Yeah, I I think I I got away with doing both by hosting shows, which like I feel like a lot of comics don't want to host shows. And for me, it's exactly what I want to do because I could work on my written material. Then I could also mess with the crowd and really mess with my improv and see what works in that way. And it's like the best of both worlds because I, I do think my strength on stage is like the moment and like playing off people more than writing jokes. I listen to your podcast and the people we've had on, I'm like, my God, I wish I could write like that guy. I don't have the writing chops, but I know that. So I'm, I'm trying to really get better at writing because uh, good stand-up has to be well-written. I don't know if there's any stand-up besides like Robin Williams maybe that could get up there and rip an entire set with maybe not writing much of it down. Maybe Don Rickles too. I don't know if there's anyone else. Um, uh, I think Big J. Okerson, right? I believe. I think he mostly oh, does yeah. <clears throat> a lot of crowd work, like tons and tons of crowd work and just sort of base stuff off of one thing. And and uh, Russell Peters, believe it or not, he'll, he'll legit do a wow. full hour and he's only written like, you know, he'll only perform like 10 minutes of material, but he'll, he'll do like a, you know, a full hour, hour and a half. And just, just based on like one person will speak in the audience and he, he's able to just pull it off like that. It's, it's pretty incredible, but like, so does that, does that ever like bother you when you're on, uh, on stage that you want to, I mean, you know, I know you want improv obviously, but you have, uh, uh, these, written down jokes and does it bother you if you're not able to get to them and you can uh and you just end up improving a lot of your set or um do you prefer it that way because you want to just improv um i think the improv for me is the save a lot of the time you know like I, i'll come up the i like being put in a corner with the improv but the material i used to be like against stand-up because i was so into the moment and like being authentic right. and I, I always i always thought like i couldn't just say the same set all the time and do jokes all the time that are repeated but what i've learned doing doing it more recently is like it isn't the same ever the material could be the same but you every show is different and i've learned from performing a little bit more that like it is a lot of improv around your 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 material and your material is always changing so that i look at it differently now i don't look at it like i'm up there reading a script you know because i I, there's room for the the nuance of the live thing the every show and but yeah, if I if I could get good enough to just work the crowd for an hour and a half, like that would be my dream, and that's kind of my goal, um, more than being the best joke writer of all time. Just because I think I I maybe right. am better positioned to get better at at having fun with crowds, um, 
But then I, I am envious though. You know, you get the comedian jealousy of like when I hear like a really good written joke, I'm like, man, I wish I could write that. <laughs> but what I do is yeah. I plagiarize it and I say it's mm. mine because that's that's usually no, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. But. <laughs> oh well, boy! No, wow. I mean Joe List was saying that on our on on his episode, he was basically saying that like he writes jokes and is like, there's this is not funny, and he'll hear someone else say a joke and be like, damn, I wish I could write a joke like that. And then he'll tell a friend the joke he wrote, and his friend will be like, no, that that's incredible. That's great. And he's like, really? All right. Mm. And he goes out and does it. And he's like, oh, I guess that was pretty good. So it, it, I feel like with comedy, there's always that, like, you're always chasing yourself and, and mm-hmm. who you could be with your strengths. And, and ultimately, you just kind of play to your strengths. And that that's what makes you you in a way. Because I know even Mark Summers was saying, like, for him personally, he was like, I knew I wasn't a great stand-up comedian. Right. But I knew it was good for me to do. And I played to my strengths. I was um, good in front of a crowd. I knew some magic tricks and I could make it work. So he just did that. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of how he got Double Dare was just honing that skill that made him him and made him funny, which I'm sure he probably wished he could have been, you know, Seinfeld joke writer. But but that wasn't who he was. And I think every, every comedian has that struggle and every comedian wants to be able to get on stage and and make it work and go up there without material and, and riff. But if you don't have years of experience in front of a crowd or improvising or sitting down and writing or going out and just being a part of the world, um, you're not going to you're not going to make it. You're not going to. For sure. You know. Yeah, I totally related to the summer's episode, by the way, so much just so you guys know, because this is amazing. I heard that episode and I had been in touch with him because I did a kids game show a couple of years ago and I was like inspired by Double Dare and so and, and everyone on the, the show was worked on Double Dare when I was a kid and like the game show people it's wow. like a small world so mm. people who were working on the show I did worked with Mark and so I, we somehow got connected back then and then I heard your episode I told you Ryan I reached out to him again I was like I need to talk to you and so I, call, I literally listened to your podcast which I'm on now Wow. then I called Mark Summers mm. and we connected because I related a lot to his journey as a host and also the way he talked about stand up and you know how he did it and and similarly like I just want to become a better entertainer and a better performer and I want to get on stage and just be better at that and he seemed I really wonder similar. if he'll call you after now maybe I don't know but it was you know, cool chatting with him episode. man and I mean that's keep going that's, back and forth that's sort of the goal if we can make t- <laughs> t-shirts if we could get to a level in the relationship where we make t-shirts of each other calling each other you know when people do that yeah. sometimes like a bromance that'd be cool yeah 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 if we could just you know write joke artists on the back or something or something small on the sleeve Dude, <clears> we'd appreciate thing. that put yeah. the tag on there put the tag on there so this was so you're talking of course about beat the clock so yep. after iheart you went to work for nbc and and just, I don't mean to like uh, not go right to beat the clock, but you started working for New York Live and doing comedy segments and um, side segments on New York Live, and you got to work alongside Sarah Gore, who Jason and I were lucky enough to work with when we were at Open House. Super nice, super professional, um, awesome to work with. Um, and while you were at uh, New York Live, that's when you got the gig hosting Beat the Clock, right? Yes, yes. New York Live has been great. It's my home base show local TV uh, on NBC. You guys, Sarah's the best. I actually got that job because of Sarah. I was harassing everybody over there. I said, I want to do bits for you guys. I want to do bits for you guys. And I eventually sent my stuff to like everyone on air there. And Sarah was the one of the people who forwarded along and was like, hey, maybe we should try this guy. And, and her, her like 
push uh, helped me get in the door there. So I'm indebted to her forever. There's good people out there if you if you hustle it, you know. Um, yeah, right. But that show's awesome because it's a daytime show where you could just mess around. And we've done like everything from like me being in a hot dog costume on Halloween to actual impactful like mom and pop shop segments with old couples that are trying to keep their businesses afloat and. I've kind of repositioned, I think, what matters to me as a host from doing that show for so many years, um, where you look at all the A-list celebrity stuff, and then you look at some of the mom and pop stuff I do. And as, you know, becoming a father changed it too. Like, I really love doing, like, fun comedy with real people, and uh, that show was really pivotal for that. And same with the game show. It was, like, kids and their families and and trying to make moments with them and... uh, Look, I still do interviews with celebrities if that's what I end up doing, but it's been really fun to like hone that part of me as a host with New York Live and, and the NBC stuff. How does that work though? How do you go from a New York Live and, and I know and I know you're still on New York Live, but how do you do that? How do you do New York Live? How do you do uh, you know, the NBC show and then how do you do the Animal Planet show? Uh, how do you do all these shows and basically you know still live your life and you know have a family and is that is this the way you like living your life is this the way you love it where you're just doing stuff more and more and more and more can you not get enough yeah i definitely can't get enough i also am not working as much as the game show year like since that time so as because i'm like freelance so i uh i feel like i could definitely be doing more shows now um but yeah, I, I love wearing many hats as a personality and like a comedian, you know, and a host. And I, I there was one year where I did like three, four game shows. I was like the character right. in um, in uh, Aziz Ansari's show where he he like hosted the uh, baking show. What was that? Yeah. Oh yeah, Master of None. Right. Yeah. So like I was like I was like that character one year. I did a show um, which I'm not ripping on it, but it was called Doodle Wars, and it was a yes. art competition show, um, kind of like Top Chef, but with like artists, which is really cool. But I just kept getting these game shows, and and that was always a dream of mine to do game shows, and. Um, yeah, to answer your question, Jason, I always wanted to be doing a ton of things. I, I do miss like uh, longer form interviews. Like I do miss the uh, even even artist interviews, like the iHeart stuff, or just having a platform to do like real interview stuff. Because the stuff on New York Live is great, but it's bite sized. It's really quick segment within a thirty minute show. Um, you know, even doing a podcast of my own and talking to people longer, I, I'm more interested in doing now. But, uh, right. but yeah, man, I love making the world fun. I feel like I want to make my life in the world constantly like a show and entertaining. And even if I'm not on a show, I still feel like I am that way um, off camera. Yeah. I, mean, I just think our, our listeners, you know, who are, who are fans of yours as well, also sort of, I don't know, they kind of want to maybe know if you wouldn't mind spilling like some of the secrets basically of, you know, how you go about doing that. Like, like what is the technical process of, of you know, sort of auditioning for these shows and, and was the, or did you not audition? And also was these, if you did audition, were, were they hard or, or how does that sort of work auditioning for game shows? Oh man. If you you did. I, yeah, I've, I've mainly auditioned for stuff and it's like anything else. It's like, you just show up and go out and try your best and try to be natural. I will say, I think one of the differences or maybe something that I've always done is like, Oh, I just hit my mic. Sorry. Um, I, I don't turn it... There's some people, performers, who turn it off, I feel like. I, I don't have an off switch as much. And I think that maybe is part of how I audition in, in a way that maybe has helped me. Like, I'll go 
play games on a test show and then I'll like mess with the crew or I'll just have fun with whatever the situation is. And, um, that's helped me. I feel like in getting some of these jobs. Um, and then the the part of the process, like, you know, I've done everything under the sun, which is super humiliating too. Like I've tons of stories of like, there's still like a hundred videos on my cell phone of like me, like hosting, like, like whack-a-mazoo daily or whatever. Like there's always opportunities (laughs) that you just show up for and, and try and go out for. And I think I've also said yes a lot of the time because you just never know um, what it could lead to. Um, but it right. could be super, super humiliating and weird and like not humiliating, but like just submitting yourself on camera, on your cell phone, shooting yourself. The Beat the Clock show, I was like very late in the game and I was working another job. I was working at the Hollywood Reporter and Billboard. So I don't even know if they did this, but I took their cameraman on the roof of the building we were at and like filmed my test tape for them and then sent it over and then that got me out to LA and in front of everybody and then I had to do the games in front of like the whole network and and uh, and a bunch of casting people and I guess I guess what's been good and I feel like really good comedians this way too is you get just get really used to the the world of like of doing your thing like as a host I'm very comfortable with 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 that world if I had to go do an hour stand-up set for millions of people, I probably would bomb. But I'm I'm very used to hosting and being and like Ryan said, I've been DJing weddings and, and bar mitzvahs yeah. since I was like 14. So I'm comfortable holding a microphone. And that has helped me, I think, too, just kind of be like, you know, if I get this, it's great. Um, I'm just gonna be myself. I think that's what people are looking for too when you get hired as a host. They want someone to be genuine, they don't want someone to be super canned or or not real or fake you know it doesn't la- it doesn't last long well like you said i mean there's a difference between kind of well you you kind of said it as being on um and it almost seems like with a lot of people sometimes being on is not a good thing like that to other to onlookers they could say oh he's just somebody or he or she is somebody that's always on but you know, it seems like the people that are really good at what they do, like yourself, um, it you could say, okay, he's always on, but it's really, it just comes down to being yourself. It's just you being yourself all the time. And to some other people, they might think, oh, that's him being on, but it really is you get comfortable with yourself and your craft to a point where it's just you, that you can be uh, yourself all the time. And I think that that's tough for a lot of people Um you know, I feel like especially for stand-up comedians, a lot of the time they feel like they have to be the guy or the girl that they that people see on stage. Um, but it seems like you've gotten to a point where it's just you all the time. And of course, you know, we all experience every kind of emotion and we can't always like be the entertainer, but it's kind of a goal, right? In in, in comedy and, and in entertainment to um, not, not be two different people. You're always constantly yourself for sure yeah i think also i rely on other people like the reason i love interviews like i've hosted mindless hosted shows and i have had days where i'm like what am i doing like who cares why am i just reading this bs by myself so i think i picked up the guest sorry um (laughs) so i wonder yeah i know (laughs) but i wonder why I think people is what, what really helps fuel me a lot of the time. And even if it's stand up and it's like, you know, messing with the crowd and getting that. Um, cause in the host space, if you're like doing like, even now I do a lot of stuff from home for NBC and I love the segments, but I also like 
just miss the interaction and the fun with people. And so right. I think it's been easier to be comfortable in that world when I'm like, when I'm with other people that are also having fun or I'm, I'm making John Cougar melon cab crack or whatever it is. <laughs> I'm uh, or I'm papping with Pappy. It's just, it's always, <laughs> it's out of always, context, it sounded like you were making crack for John Cougar melon cab. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm making crack for Cougar melon cab. <laughs> making Pappy with Campy. Um, uh, but that's that's been something I recognize, um, and also you figure out what you what works for you. Like that's why I think I am a lot of the time similar to how I come off in interviews and stuff. Um, well, yeah, I mean, Jason and I in our last episode were talking about how you know you don't always get the opportunity to work on something that you're passionate about and that you're excited about, and then you love the material. and And a lot of times you're doing freelance gigs or you're you're editing or you're shooting or you're hosting or you're, you're performing a corporate gig as a standup. It's a lot of times it's stuff you don't want to do. And so when you do get those gigs that you're excited about, it's like you've been working for it and you're so prepared for it at that time. And you just relish in it and you just, it, it makes it all worth it, worth it. It's like, I mean, I'm, I'm a terrible golf player, but like going to play golf and you hit like a million bad shots and then you get the one that's like just straight and perfect. And you go, I get it. This is amazing. Let's mm-hmm. keep going. This is like, let's keep playing. And I feel like that's comedy in a way. For sure. Yeah. You take a, you take a million bad swings and then you, I, I said this today cause I golfed earlier, <laughs> which I don't even do a lot, <laughs> but I was joking with my buddy. I was like, you know, life is just like a stroke of golf. You know, you, sometimes you hit it the wrong way. You hit it the right way. You, you find the ball and you just get it back on track. But it is. It sometimes is true. you have a stroke. Yeah. Sometimes you, yeah. And the guy said, "Sir, please yeah, just give me my stuff and get off this course." I, I was actually, yeah. He was like, "My, well, give me my caddying. club." I was caddying. Um, yeah. Yes, it's just I, I, I was under the impression that you were. Yeah. He goes, "Yeah." The guy's like, "Why are you holding a microphone?" Yeah. yeah my like, goddamn I'm here putter. for life advice, right? I was I'm like, hired. Welcome, for this. welcome to the show. I do shows everywhere. You're, um, you're on a perpetual game show. You're nonstop, <laughs> even when the cameras aren't rolling. That's sort of how it is, actually. <laughs> You're right. um, I did say to my neighbor the other day, this is really sad to admit, but she was pregnant. She actually had the baby, but the show was Beat the Clock. And I know her kids watch it, which is just like so cheesy, but she was like about to pop. And I'm like, how much time do you have on the clock? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, let's see the clock. And then literally she had and the she baby like, like that night. She was like, she had the baby. Uh, there's a restraining order, please. <laughs> They're like, not everything's a game show. My water broke, you jerk. <laughs> anyway, yeah. And you're like, how many gallons? If you can fill up these buckets in two minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's double there. Empty those fallopian um, tubes. Oh, God. Oh. You said that one. That's getting you canceled, not me. Oh, sorry. Yeah. That was me, everybody. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. speaking of beat the clock, though, I, I just, I really wanted to ask beforehand. So, so you're... You know, you get that audition, you're going to go to L.A. to audition and you're living here in New York. What is that feeling like for somebody like yourself? Like, are you like, wow, this is, you know, a big time game show. This is NBC. Are you and I know you're saying you're being yourself the whole time, but do you do you get in your head a little bit or are you just so chill with it? You're you're totally fine. Are you super excited though that you're getting on a on a plane to go to another yeah. state across country that was excitement for me because i but i also was super nervous everyone who's ever done anything i feel like who i want to be like in showbiz has done some game shows especially like comedians uh-huh. or you look at someone like jimmy kimmel came from radio did game shows 
did, right. did his thing or even before him, you know, the Johnny Carsons of the world started in game. So many good yeah. entertainers and, and hosts and comedians did game shows and it's a good format for comedy and improv. Um, and so I always wanted to do one. So when I got that opportunity, I did feel like it was fateful. Like I kept saying for years, I got to get a game show. I got to get a game show. And so I was super excited and it was a whirlwind thing where like I got the call to go and they said, you know, pack like you're going to get it because it was really yeah. late and they couldn't fill the host spot. And then they picked me wow. like the very last second. And then I auditioned on Thursday and that Monday we were filming like three or four episodes and wow. we ended up doing five episodes a day after that. So I, I felt prepared though, because yeah, I've been hosting at iHeart for so long and just w- like right. really wanting to do a game show and everything in life is iterative. Like a game show is like doing games with kids at their bar mitzvah and you're the DJ, but, but it was, it was cool. And I, I felt like it was everything kind of happening, uh, that I'd built towards trying to do. And then yeah. I remember the first time coming out of, you know, the first it's a live studio audience. So that's also a dream too. And that also mm-hmm. is what, to get back to comedy, that's what lit, a, uh, uh, like a light bulb in my head about like, I need to be just doing standup again. Like the next time I get a studio game show, I want to be able to absolutely kill from a comedy perspective better than oh. I did then. And I don't think we had fun. It was a kid's game show, but like, I do yeah. think there's an opportunity to kind of be a really good stand up around doing game shows and the live, mm-hmm. like, and that live energy. And so it made me think like, I got to get better at stand up. And, um, but could you be in the moment during it or did you not, or you just couldn't? Yeah. 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 You it were was able to live of, in the moment. A, yeah, it was a mix of things. There was a lot of okay. There's a lot of like business with game shows too, rules and and making sure people, um, you know, understand the rules. They were like the one thing I'll never forget is how specific game show producers and lawyers are about like actually. Right. I don't know if you guys know this, like telling the on television, like making sure you say all the rules properly, or like they could get in trouble. Wow. Yeah, so sure. that was that's kind of like a really funny when you're filming live to tape. It's like you 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 introduce the game and then like they stop down and like a team of lawyers show up and they're like, "Did you understand the rules? Did you do this? Is this here's this?" Like to kids. So that was kind of funny to like break out of that. But um, in general, uh, it was a blast to make and it was a dream to get that call to go out and get it. And when I got it, I was really excited. And then now to have like a you know network game show gig under my belt with that company is just nice on paper for me moving forward there and hopefully growing there. Yeah. Well, you also have the animal planet, uh, show as well. Yeah. Yeah. Which was ridiculous. <laughs> well, I mean, still very, very cool. And you know, and it's also network gig. What, what's yeah. the, what is the, what is the situation like, if you don't mind talking about it just really quickly, the differences of sort of like something that would be for animal planet versus NBC, like, treatment wise are we talking like you know your dressing room is filled with fresh fruit or you know or is it canned peaches he's dead serious by the way honestly the 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 network game show is the best i've ever been treated as a host because it was produced by the best production one of the best game show production companies Fremantle, who does like american idol and you know all this you know them so they just it's like factory, you know, they, they know how to do game shows really well. And so like, right. I, I will say that was the first time in my career and maybe only since it's gone only the other way where, um, no. they were like, what do you need? What do you need to stay? You know, you got five episodes a day. Like, what do you need? And I was like, thought about, I was like espresso. And like <laughs> within, within a half hour, there was like an amazing espresso machine in my dressing room. I was like, I could get used to this type of gig. Yeah. And I now mean, like, call so, Mellon camp. I right. need my crack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I need melon camp but, in my crack. But but honestly, <laughs> yeah. But from a from a from a good humbling perspective, like that stuff really doesn't matter. And I've learned, you know, you don't need that yeah. stuff. But it was nice to be treated like just to harness like my one job, which was hosting, because you don't really right. get hired as a host a lot of the time. You get hired as a producer, writer. Oh, by the way, host the interview. You know, by the way edit this and yeah you could be on camera and it's not usually just yeah it's not usually just to have fun and be the guy on you know hosting the show and so being treated that way was it was a good perk for that gig right absolutely that's sort of always my understanding of it obviously it's it's, you know you try to be humble about it um but as much as you would like to be humble you know it's gotta it's it's just gotta change you slightly in the moment you know like not not i'm sorry not in the moment maybe like you know a couple episodes in like wow like like this is what the other side lives like um mm. and it's bizarre and um you know and also just a lot of fun i would i would assume yeah yeah to your point though i mean everyone's concerned about i can't imagine being like ellen and not to bring up you know everything with her now but like being at that level where like everyone needs to know where you right. are at all times, they need to rely on you hitting your mark, being in this place, and even just doing a network game show for a couple of weeks, like it's that way, and you're, you you know, you have to just be yeah. in the spot. Where is he now? Is he always in the bathroom? You know what I mean? Like for I did it for two and a half, three weeks. I can't imagine that like kind of kind of all the time at a different level. The funny thing that I learned the hard way, speaking of getting canceled, is um. My lavalier mic, you know, filming, I didn't know, and I never said anything unless the editors never told me, but my mic was hot in the, there was a, a truck that the control room truck that sees all the feeds and watches everything and, and, and the director's in there and they're doing the show from there the, the whole day. They right. just kept my mic hot all day i don't know why That's weird how yeah and someone like, we gotta I, get I had some a, dirt on this guy i don't know or maybe like just because it was like i don't know because we we filmed so quickly they were like we're not going to keep muting him because we're about to be on again and he's you know and so i had a great someone wow. told me someone mm-hmm. told me and gave me the inside scoop not that i would say anything on a kid's game show like i was already buttoned up but not only that the camera was also always you forget the camera's on you you're the host right Every time you stop down. So that was actually like a really good learning curve for me. And it's different than stand-up or anything else. When you're in stand-up, it's like in the moment and you do your set and you're out. This was like even when – and maybe say I would would never get like that annoyed. But say like it was like the sixth time we were doing something, you know, like you – Right. You still have to like make sure kids there and like everyone who's watching the monitors doesn't think you're having a bad time. So that was like an interesting – curve and the first few days i didn't know so once i figured it out i was like oh my god i better make sure i don't th- like i'm not like this is awesome and then the second we stop down i'm like these mother effing kids they yeah. don't <laughs> yeah i mean well kid <laughs> kids bring another element to it i mean when when uh, mark norman was on he talked about how when he was on conan he was so excited and you know got to sit with him and talk and then the commercial break came and he started asking him questions and he was just like he completely turned off and was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. And, uh, but you, I mean, but Mark's an adult and can understand that it must be tough working with kids that like you really do have to be almost Barney in a way <laughs> where like if you're doing, all right, let's uh, take 11 inside, you want to be like, it was fine on take two, but right. you have to just be like, all right, let's do it again. And um, yeah, I mean, t- to do that for three weeks, five episodes a day, that must have been tough. I mean, I can't imagine for anybody. It was great. Kind of- yeah, it was a learning curve just to figure out that that flow of it, you know? And uh, 
And I can empathize, which is weird to say, but like, you know, remember when Steve Harvey was like, don't talk to me if you don't yeah. need to. I, right. I can emp- I, I think he could have been nicer about it, but I can understand like when you're churning out as many episodes as you are, you have to like save your voice and your energy. And I get that. He just, he could probably could have been nicer, but it's a demanding type of job. And I'm not trying to say like, look at me. It's demanding. I did one season, never did it again. But, um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm saying how I get how people can maybe get bad reputations of being like, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on. Okay. We're off. Cause it's almost like a break, you know, it's like an energy well, especially break. If, right. Especially if you have people, everyone doting on you in a way that, all you have to do is say to one person, be like, ah, yeah, I'm a little tired, but that was fun. And then they take it as like, Paul's tired. And then it's a game of telephone Paul's that it goes asleep, down to, to the intern. They're like, Paul's really tired. So don't even, don't even look at him. And, yeah, and then that person might go, wow. Mattress. Yeah. Yeah. And they go, wow, Paul must be like a really mean guy. He just like, he doesn't want me to talk to him, but really it was a game of telephone where you told someone right, that right. you were just a little tired. And then by the time it gets to a lowly intern, they're like, don't even look at Paul. You yeah. piece of shit. Yeah, no, yeah. Comes grumpy. Ah! I also, I never, watch out. I know. I never want to be, I never want that to happen or ever be like how I work. And the other side of this is like, I play for a living, you know, like I, I also have kept my perspective that like I literally play around for a living and even doing the kids game show, it felt like that. Like we had big props. It was very similar to Double Dare actually. Big props, like crazy huge things they built, like running around, throwing all these things, like getting messy. Like the other side of it is like I'm literally spending a few weeks like playing around with families and uh, I felt that's super awesome. grateful that like, yeah, that's what my job was for that. So if anything, of even course. like energy, you know, if you feel burnt out or, and that, I think that goes for a lot of showbiz. That's also why I have a hard time when someone's like begrudging. And I think that's a good perspective. Yeah. Some of the biggest celebrities have that same perspective. It's like, this is, you know, this is great that we get to play songs for a living or we get to tell jokes for a living or like, I think anybody who's able to make money doing this stuff um, can realize that. And I hope, I never lose that, and I don't think I will because I, I love what I do, you know? Yeah, I hope yeah. that uh, Ryan and I become so famous that we do lose that. We lose sight of everything, and we just want the cash, and we hate everybody. From the start, Jason and I were clear with each other. We yes. said, once we make it, we want to be mean to everyone and <laughs> oh, throw yeah. it all away. Well, look, and, if you're just, just complete yeah. jerks. There, if you look at the Ellen stuff, there's got to be some fun in that, you know? There's got to be some level of, of enjoyment. Yeah, being a jerk, just being a ruthless. Don't look at me. I actually saw her tape of her game show last year. Um, like I was a friend who did my game show, was producing Game of Games. Is that what's called? I believe so. Um, and to to your Conan Mark Norman story, she she reminds me of that too. But it doesn't mean she's mean. It just means that she like doesn't bring it until she's live, which I get because she's like always on, you know. But it was interesting yeah. to see. It was interesting to see yeah. kind of her just like, and for when you do it that long, it's not even like you are concerned with anybody. Like you're just ready to just perform when you go on. Because it was almost like, you know, they stopped doing the game and she just like stood there like paused until yeah. they went again. And I guess my personality, like you want to see if the kids are cool. You want to see if like, I don't know, should we do it again? How's it going, director? Like just like in the moment. And she just literally was like, just paused mm. and the, yeah. the producer of beat the clock was always like damn it this this paul guy he's a sweetheart there's nothing wrong with him we need some <laughs> damn dirt on this guy leave <laughs> yeah, his mic leave hot his mic the on. whole time and the leave camera's wrong. we're gonna get something 
Send Billy Bush into his trailer. Yeah, that ought to mess with him a little bit. There's enough from the past hour that you guys just recorded that, you know, cut the right way will be oh, enough yeah. dirt. Enough dirt 100%. for me. We got, we got cut the we right need. way, baby. Wop this Billy is Bush. Life. <laughs> Happy Whoppy Billy Bush. <laughs> Poppy well, Van Bush. I, as we wrap up, I know it, no, we don't want to take your time too much no, longer but i know want. but uh, all right, all right in, the, in our hours, next hour oh God, right? yeah in the next no, i just hour, wanted find to find out what paul yeah. really thinks of us find out what paul thinks about the presidential election like oh god no <laughs> yeah. uh, don't take a side don't do it <laughs> the thing um, about america we don't but, know how uh, to edit. <laughs> yeah, when you, when you talk about the, you know church and state, um, wait <laughs> in the back of a Miata. No, oh, um, Jesus. Yeah, but um, you're you're you know you you were saying oh I, you know I could be working more and all this stuff, but you you are like you do a bunch of internet, Instagram, um, social media content. You're always doing that, and it always spawned from the gorilla late night days, mm-hmm. but. You did a, a spoof song for Chris Cuomo, joking about how at the height of COVID, everyone was kind of glued to Chris Cuomo's mm-hmm. um, show, and you, it was a whole joke about how you found out that your wife was in love with Chris Cuomo, right. and then he actually reached out to you about it, right? Yes. Physically so, reached out. Uh, yeah, he was like, don't you dare sing about me behind my back with the Cuomo brothers. That's <laughs> how so he talks in real life. It's so different wow. than on TV. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds unbelievable. It was weird that he showed up with the governor, too. Like, both of them are, like, they're not busy enough. He's like, I'm the brother. I'm Chris's brother. I'm the brother. other brother. We're he didn't kick say his some... name. He just said, I'm the brother. I'm the brother. Oh, right. I'm like, I know who you are. You're Andrew Cuomo. He's like, we're going to kick some coronavirus ass. Wow. Cool. And then you guys suited up. Yeah, they yeah. go, where's the toilet? We're going to give it a swirly because yeah. we're in high school. Yeah. Like, oh. Actually, the toilet a swirly? Not Paul? Yeah. Humor me, Corona. For, humor oh, me for a second. Okay. The, the Cuomo brothers in high school, humor me for a second, were just <laughs> absolute beasts. Like like motorcycles, <laughs> like like hooking up with everyone. Like just like guy girl. It doesn't, just, matter. It doesn't matter. We're the Cuomo. Get over here. <laughs> yeah, give us a kiss, Teach. It's like it's homeroom and the place is filled with smoke because they got a running motorcycle in the building. <laughs> That's it. Andrew, present. You can't tell what me what think? to do. Do you know my dad? Let's go. Let's get out of here. What are we doing? And then they're, Where are you going? Their dad was just like the sweetheart, like cafeteria guy who's like, all right, you know, like here's extra rice. And they're like, Shut hey, up, my dad. dad's the freaking best. <laughs> Look at this guy. He's tough as nails. Whatever your mother wants to do. That's a man, <laughs> goddammit. Yeah. More mashed potatoes? Oh, yeah. You know I love those cubs. You can't stop leaving school to go hang out underneath the gar- the, the New Jersey Turnpike. Oh, wait, they're from New York. It doesn't make sense now. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That's Damn where it. we lost Damn it. That's where they well, lost us. It makes sense if, if they were going all the way to New Jersey because they had school the next day. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, yeah get, get, like, out of, get off the far. turnpike. We don't care where we're going. They walked on train tracks most of their high school career. <laughs> Without knowing. <laughs> they tied kids to train tracks most of their yeah, school they, they You're going to get a knuckle sandwich. <laughs> yeah, and but then they would, but then their dad would because he was the cafeteria guy. He was like, "What knuckle sandwich coming up?" And he, he attempted to actually make a knuckle sandwich. He cut off a guy's <laughs> hand and just took the knuckles. And he was like, "What do you want? Weed or whole or, or regular bread?" 
<laughs> give me give me regular unleaded. <laughs> oh boy. That ain't gluten free. I I I really like though by the way guys and I'm not trying to make you sound dumb but in this fake world like their dad is a lunch man and not the former <laughs> governor of New York. So, <laughs> yeah. Whoops. Mario Cuomo. Wait, listen, listen. But but for real, I think my car- the career chat was bored a lot of people. If you guys could just bump up the Cuomo stuff to the beginning. <laughs> 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 just just go from like Nicki Minaj pap straight to Cuomo brothers yeah. in high school yeah um, oh my gosh by the way I can't help as an interviewer to like I want to get back to your answering your question I'm always in the back of my mind no, like please. where no but I'm like where are we I, I feel like I think that way as an interviewer it's always weird to be interviewed because I'm constantly asking others questions and to but, be thinking while we're asking questions these guys suck yeah, no you guys are out of this that's your question actually how do I get out of this no I listen to this show often and I love your questions I love this show and I'm honored to be on here. Really, it's awesome to chat with you guys. Oh, no, oh, thanks. Awesome to have you on. Yeah, yeah you, you, you asked the on. right. Yeah, I mean, thank you. So, uh, oh, so Cuomo being on quarantine, not working as much as maybe the game show time in my career. Uh, I'm trying to just do funny bits from home more and more. And in these days, there's opportunities to make dumb stuff and see where it goes. And the Cuomo thing came from real life. My my wife loves him, watches him every night. Like. You know, he's stronger, he's buffer, he's cooler, he's got a better job. But anyway, um, I'm not insecure <laughs> oh. about it. I'm not insecure about it, I swear. But she calls oh, me Chris okay. half the time. She calls me Chris half the time. It's weird. But anyway, oh. I'm sure that's fine. we're working on it. We're working on it. Um, so I wrote this jingle and I started, and the original idea was like, my wife loves you. Like I had a whole scene about like her waking up from a dream and he was in it and then like, she was kind of like, you know, I make a, like a whole love song about me loving this guy because like it's true and I'd rather you do like, you know, maybe change it a little. And she was like embarrassed that it was like just all about her loving him. And so I kind of upped it to my whole family, my daughter, my mother-in-law, everybody loves Chris Cuomo, which is still true. Right. Yeah. Um, but the fun part of it was, it was like right in the beginning of the COVID stuff. And, uh, I really just made it to have some fun on Instagram. And he, he saw it, his whole family saw it. He reached out. He was like, this was a really bright, funny thing for us to see, especially given the dark times for our family and for the country. Um, thanks so much for that gift. Like he was really sweet about it. And for me, that was like a win wow. as a comedian. Like I was able to, yeah. you know, make this parody and, uh, get to the source and actually get, bring them some joy for a minute. It was fun. Right. Well, it goes right back to what you were saying. You were able to win somebody over who, who I guess so may not have been like that. You know? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, yeah, it goes right it back was to just, your iHeart days. Yeah. It was just fun to. Yeah, to to do something. I've also, Ryan knows this too, I've always tried to do bits where like it's funny to me if the people I'm talking about or like we're joking about like see it or share it or, you know, it's always like a funny way to do stuff. That's the goal. I love doing parodies too. It's like a muscle from like high school and being younger that I've always done that I want to do more of. Um, And my wife's a professional musician, so the joke is like I'm writing songs and singing now, and uh, I just totally shouldn't be. Like she's the one who's the pro. Well, with that song, did did you? I mean, you you you're an incredible drummer. Um, You play a little piano and guitar as well. Did you kind of talk over the song musically with her, or was she like, "This is so dumb, go do your thing"? I kind of showed it to her once it was done and I was like, this is what I did get her approval. Like I was like, how's this chorus? And she was like, yeah, it's awesome. But, but it wasn't, she just, she didn't want anything to do with it until I was like, this is what it's going to be. And she was like, okay. (laughs) But the funny part about her is 
she's a professional recording artist and I'm not the best singer. So the secret about all these parodies is like, I send them to like her main, our, a buddy of ours, this great guy, Fakayo, <laughs> but her like main master guy. And so like he takes, he takes these like, you know, poorly sung things and makes them tolerable. And that's, what's funny about it is now people on my Instagram are like, wow, you actually have a good voice. Like you should, you should <laughs> sing more when it's like a thousand percent auto tune. <laughs> oh my gosh. That must be so. Does she like? I'm not in a mean way, of course, but does she just roll her eyes? Like, because you obviously sing ironically and sarcastically, I'm sure, for her in a way, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't sing well, though. I don't sing at, at her level, of course not. So it's funny that now, like, I'm having her guy mix and master these, like, Cuomo, Cuomo songs, <laughs> all these parodies I do. Aside from that, I know before COVID, you were doing a, a weekly show at Caroline's, a stand up mm-hmm. show. Um, and then I don't know if you know, you want to talk about it or what yeah. expen- extent you want to talk about it, but you are producing a show called, well, do, should I say yeah, it? Yeah, you can say it. Yeah, yeah. You're producing a, a show called The Pop-Up Show that is, it kind of takes everything that you've done for from Gorilla and uh, your experience working at, at New York Live, if, if that's fair to say, yep. and combining it into a travel talk show. For sure. Um, and that's in post-production now it is what's that word agalmination amalgamation that was it that's it amalgamation a dalmatian but that's basically 101 dalmatians glenn close 101 amalgamations um the united amalgamations so um i uh i basically took everything like i said like being a dad and doing these mom and pop segments for new york live for so many years i just have been I've had more time to figure out like, what do I want to do? What type of work do I want to do as a host? Why am I a host? Why am I doing this still? You know, not in a depressing way, but just trying to figure out what my next move was and working less enabled me to really come up with a way to basically reboot the gorilla uh, concept with the cardboard desk, which we had in Times Square and bring it across the country to do like a pop-up talk show in small towns across America and the t- it's you know I say talk show because it's kind of like a novelty. Like we have the desk, we pop up with it. I have a my sound guy hold curtains that I come out of in the beginning, and I have a music guy, um, my buddy Lucius from my the gospel band in college, my main musical sidekick. Um, but we really just use that to get in and out of places. It's really like a docu follow comedy show based on real people across the country. And my inspiration is like Conan on the road, you know, the Conan remotes. I love him. I feel like it has that flavor. And then also like the Bourdains of the world where it's like, we're really hunting and seeking out like interesting, funny stories and people that are quirky out there. And for me as a host, like I want to go celebrate those people. And in the beginning in the sizzle, like of selling the show, we're like, I've interviewed everybody. Now I want to interview the fabric of America and people that are really out there with things to say and there's just so many funny characters to feature. I feel like it could be endless. And so the goal now, we've we produced six episodes. We're trying to sell it to a streaming platform or to a network. And we're, we've actually had some pitch meetings and like it's just up in the air. And if, if nobody cares or gives me money for it, it's going to be out soon just through my digital platforms because I really want people to see it. That's awesome. Can't wait to, to see that all done. I've seen a few clips here and there of, of some shorter segments from each from mo, from a few episodes, and it's looking really good. And, and uh, I was lucky enough to, to be in 
part of one episode, Ryan, um, which was really fun. Ryan absolutely uh, nails it in the Massachusetts episode, playing the part of a single guy on a dating app. Yeah, there, there was there was no fruit, Jason. Though I didn't get any fruit or yeah, it's true. He uh, drove himself too. He that was not the best gig. Oh my, yeah, it wasn't well, the that best. Seems like a big waste of time. No, I think we all have. I think all three of us share the same mentality of, uh, you know, continuing to work as much as possible and. You know, always reaching for that next thing, um, no matter how much hair you lose during it. Yeah. Jason and I are now bald. Yeah. Right, right. Sore subject, because I spray, like, dark brown spray on my head every time I'm on TV. Mm. Anyway. Do you? Yeah, depending on the shoot. Depending on the shoot and the lights, you know. I'm going to get an aggressive hair piece, though. I want to get to the level where I'm hosting shows and... People like my hair, and then like everyone knows it's fake. Like I can't wait for that. Right, like a like a um, who's the guy who used to throw glitter at everybody? Uh, oh oh what? oh man, he was in the Jackass movies, right? Yeah, glitter. Oh man, Steve O. Steve O. No, no, <laughs> I, forget, I forget his name. That's terrible. Yeah, but I mean, well, you could basically okay. be like. Like John Cryer, he just had like basically sod on on his head. <laughs> oh yeah, I and wonder. Admitted it on on Conan, I wonder I if that's why maybe I need. I'm not doing as many shows. Like maybe I need something where it's like let's just give him the show because like that's that's sad, man. He needs the work. Like look, he needs a better toupee. You know, <laughs> that might help. That might help me. I always wanted to be that guy though that has uh, big hair. Sinatra had a great hair piece. God bless him. Yeah, oh, I man. remember when. Um, I was shooting this show at Stern and uh, we needed a real Afro and we got a call from a guy who gave us another guy and <clears throat> we went up to this place, really high uh, uh, rooftop-ish penthouse, whatever, um, room in some sort of build, some building, I forget where in Manhattan. And when we got there, um, he was, you know, we were like, looking at the pictures on the walls we're like wow what does this guy have all these pictures and one was sinatra I'm like wow so then he goes in and telling us about the pieces he created and he, you know when he created sinatra's and i was like oh my gosh it's amazing he had so many amazing stories and then i was like wait what are we even doing here we can't afford any of this <laughs> um because <laughs> we were we we didn't he didn't know and we didn't know that we you know had like a crap budget and then also this guy didn't know either but we were you know recommended uh, we just got right. something eventually, I think, from like Party City, but um, <laughs> but <laughs> that's it was incredible to be there. You went wow. to Sinatra's yeah. hairpiece guy. That's crazy. And yeah, also, and he, and he showed up. He had fros ready for us, uh, <laughs> different afros, and they were Sinatra's really <laughs> yeah. Sinatra was like, "I'm gonna go with the fro tonight." Uh, Mr. Sinatra, some... I don't think you should. Hey, hey, hey! Who's the singer around here? There's okay, some wild Mr. Sinatra. There's some wild sauna pictures of him and Dean Martin, both with afros, that are hidden from the public. But I, I he, he notoriously wore afros, actually, like underground. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know that. I did not know that. Can you get canceled after you die? Yeah, that's going to be the clip. <laughs> uh, that's the clip we know, pulled for the promo of this. I don't know, but I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure it'll happen after people listen to this at my funeral. Anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my whole... Family loves you, Chris Cuomo. No All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to that episode. Boy, was that a doozy. No, but seriously, we want to thank Paul. Uh, you know, it was a lot of fun talking to him. We learned a lot. And if you want to hear more episodes, go to Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V 
com. Also, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, iTunes. Rate us, follow us, and... Uh, and be sure to follow Paul on social media. Just look for at Paul Costabile. And just because that sounds super Italiano, I'm going to spell it for you. It's at P-A-U-L-C-O-S-T-A-B-I-L-E. That's how you spell Costabile. You can follow him on Twitter, Instagram, wherever. Go on, go on YouTube and try to find him. You can also go to his website, paulcostabile.tv, and you can uh, see some other great content that Paul has. Right. You can follow him in person, too. You, you find him, you can follow him. But you can also be on the lookout for his new show that's in post-production right now, The Pop-Up Show, which should be popping up somewhere soon. So be on the lookout for that. And um, that's God, it. God bless you. Oh, yeah. Take care. Have a good one. Yeah. And tell the Cuomo brothers, we'll come we sent you. Actually, don't. Yeah, no, 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 no. no. Don't. They're really tough. They're too tough. We all love you, Chris Cuomo. And don't even get me started on him and his brother. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.